Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 26. Before I get started, let me just please remind you, if you're not already, you can subscribe to this podcast on I believe just about every major podcast platform out there. It's on Amazon, it's on Stitcher, it's on iHeartRadio, it's on Spotify, and of course it's on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. So wherever you prefer to get your podcasts, I hope you'll make sure that you're subscribed so that you'll get all of these episodes as they uh, become available. And as always, just want to remind you, it really helps the show a lot if you will share the episode, if you enjoyed it, and also... If you're on Apple Podcasts, if you'll just take a brief moment and offer a five-star rating and review, all that really helps us to be found by other listeners. Speaking of new listeners, I'm hoping that maybe this episode will draw a few because I'm going to be talking about a production that is a huge production. As I've mentioned before, this is a show about theater musicians, but not all theater musicians live in New York. Not all theater musicians work exclusively for professional organizations. School theater, community theater, all of that is alive and well. In fact, the type of production I'm talking about today is unlikely to happen in the professional world. I'm talking about a show that has 100 people in the cast. If you have a show on Broadway and you have to pay 100 people in the cast, it better be a really really good show that's going to sell out and be on stage for a long time. And and you have to get a big house and put a lot of people in it, and those tickets are going to be expensive. Um, when when you have volunteer actors, you can get away with a actually larger show than you could on Broadway. And such is the case with this show today. So I'm talking about The Wizard of Oz, as presented every year by the Community Theater of Greensboro. Back in, I believe, 1995, the Community Theater of Greensboro put The Wizard of Oz on their season. It was just another show, except that it was very popular. It sold really well, and enough so, I don't know if it was just the idea of the production team members or if it was encouraged by the audience or the cast, but the thought was, we should do this again next year. And by the time they did it for the second year, it became a tradition. If you live in the area of Greensboro, North Carolina, going to see The Wizard of Oz in November is just as much of a tradition as going to see The Messiah or The Nutcracker Ballet in December. This is year, this would be year number 26. The day I'm releasing this episode... Friday, November 13th, 2020, would be most likely the opening night of the 26th annual production. So many things make this show fascinating from just how long it's been around, how much of a, tr- of a tradition it is in this area, uh, the size of the cast, as I mentioned. Um, it's a huge orchestra for you pit players. It's, uh, I believe, a 19-piece orchestra. And it's the type of thing that any mid-sized community can achieve. Uh, it, is, it is a show of greatness, and it, and it is a lot of fun to watch. And I had the privilege of working on it for one year back in 2015. That would have been the 21st annual production. So this is the first of two episodes that I'm going to be featuring this production. Um, on Monday, there's going to be a bonus episode I have some thoughts that have been recorded from some of the production team members, including the director, the stage manager, the piano accompanist, and um, I look forward to bringing you that. That'll be a shorter episode. That'll be on Monday, not the usual day of this podcast, but it is a bonus episode. Today's episode features my conversation with Al Stevens. Al Stevens is a music director. He's done a lot of shows. Kind of like me, as we talked about, he got into theater as an adult. He didn't have a lot of uh, childhood experiences. And um, he is, um, he's the owner of Moore Music in Greensboro. But he also has been the music director for several 
productions of The Wizard of Oz. He's going to talk about things besides The Wizard, but a lot of our conversation is going to be devoted to what goes into doing the same show year after year and with a production that is so big. Without further delay, here is my conversation with Al Stevens. So, Al, thank you for taking time to be on the show today. And uh, let's just start with how are things going, uh, well, before and during the pandemic, especially given that you are the owner of More Music in Greensboro. Good morning, David, and, and thank you for having me. Um, 2020 has been an interesting year for everybody. That's probably the understatement of the century. Right. Uh, but for for me personally and professionally, it's it's been it's been good, challenging, rewarding, many many things. Uh, the store uh, has done okay; has done well. I'm very very pleased with the support that we've gotten from the community um, to continue. We declared ourselves an essential business. Mm. If you recover, remember back in in seemingly so long ago that only essential businesses were allowed to stay open. Um, and I truly believe that we were essential because kids were still taking virtual classes, still taking lessons virtually or, or some face-to-face. Teachers still needed materials. So uh, we were able to stay open. We've weathered it okay. I mean, we did business did really fall off for a bit, but, you know, it's coming back, and, and, I, and I feel good about that. So a lot of good things. Uh, personally, we've had some challenges uh, with uh, my wife's health. Her mm-hmm. cancer has come back. Uh, but she's a fighter, and uh, we're going to get 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 moving on that. She's doing a great job fighting that, and has such a tremendous, tremendous positive outlook and inspiration to the whole family. So, all in all, good. And here we are speaking with you. So it can't, can't get any better. <laughs> right. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, sorry to hear about your wife's health, but uh, we'll definitely Thanks. be thinking of her and you as you continue to fight this. Um, so. Uh, what made you decide one day I want to own a music store? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Um, long story short, <laughs> so uh, I was with an insurance company for twenty-eight years in the credit union space. Uh, absolutely fantastic experience. It really has given me the uh, foundation for what I'm doing today. Left that to go work with another smaller company in the credit union space. Uh, that company essentially in a few years imploded. Um, we won't get into the details behind that, but at that point I was 59 years old. And uh, as I went out to the marketplace looking uh, for other employment, I found that a lot of companies did not want to hire 59 year old sales guys. Mm. Um, they can hire and train for much less and with less experienced minds, uh, younger people mm-hmm. and kind of mold them into their uh, way of doing things. And, and I understand that I regret it for them because personally speaking and knowing a lot of guys that people that are my age and have been in sales for 30 years who truly enjoy sales and marketing we bring a lot of talent to the table mm-hmm. and I think it would have offered a lot to any company that would have considered it. So thought about the early retirement gig, did that for probably, I guess, close to a year as I sought out to purchase a more music company. And, you know, you can only play so much golf, especially when you suck at it. Like I do <laughs> wash cars so many times. Just was I'm a doer. I have to stay busy. Right. Uh, I have to stay busy. I'm, I'm constantly in motion. I don't see myself retiring anytime soon. So I said, all right, let's just look about owning a business. And I worked with a consultant who contacted the owner at that time of more music company. And uh, we started the conversation. He wasn't looking to sell. Uh, but 17 months later, we purchased the store. Well, great. And, uh, you know, I've, you know, I, I know some of the people who work with you, and uh, I've heard nothing but good things and uh, about just the experience of working there. And uh, so just congra- congratulations for keeping that going during this time. Well, thank you, sir. Most kind. We One of the gems uh, of purchasing the store was 
of course, the people. And as David, as you know, with any organization, be it a, a for-profit, not-for-profit, uh, a, a, a musical production, uh, whatever it is, it, it comes down to the people. And um, they, the people that we have at the store are a tremendous asset. They have a tremendous relationship with the community. Uh, you know what? Dave Doyle's been there, what, since 2000? Mm-hmm. I've been there since 2004. Ooh, who knows? They've been there for one reason. They absolutely love what they do. Right. Uh, I promise you, they're not... They're not making a fortune. Now, you know, they're right. not staying there for the money. I can promise you that. Right. Uh, but they love what they do. Uh, their customers absolutely love them. And, and, and our, hopefully we're, we're providing um, a quality difference to the community. That's what we want to do is grow music, at, music, at, grow music through music education in our community. We want to get get young people and, and older people as well, David, to come to know music as you and I have come to know it. Right. And and if we can make a career out of it, fine. If we can't, that's okay too, because there's so much that we've learned from our time in music mm-hmm. that uh, it, it'll help us in anything that we do. And it'll make us a better audience member. Every, every, every production has to have an audience. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if that, that person that we're, we're educating today can become that audience member for a theater production in Winston-Salem, Greensboro, or a symphony concert in either city, we've done our job. Right. seems to me like one of the increasing challenges uh, in this day and age of uh, as far as when it comes to parents and when it comes to, you know, kids, students, is to get them off YouTube, <laughs> get them off the internet, and start, you know, to out of this, I'll just teach myself by watching videos mindset into the importance of having mentorship and also, you know, getting them off, you know, music, uh, whatever, musicnotes.com and, you know, come in and actually like, hold some music, sheet music and, and also see the instruments in person. You know, it's like, it's, it's a whole different experience than being online. So, <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, I believe one of the blessings that we will see from the pandemic, uh, there, there, there's going to be many. I think one virtual education is here to stay. Um, there's there's certainly a, a a niche for people in virtual education that is as teachers and as uh, participants, but. I think people are tired of the screen. Yeah. I think they're tired of learning by looking at Zoom meetings or, 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 or Microsoft meetings. What I think, I, they're just, they're, they're, their eyes are just blinked out from staring at these things for so long. And so what's, what's very interesting, during the pandemic, number of this industry, uh, and as well as the podcast industry, saw a tremendous upsurge in sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sold more keyboards in the month of July than the store ever has sold. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and guitar sales have gone out of the roof. We've had other stores calling us asking, do you have any used guitars you can sell us? Because, we, A, we couldn't get new guitars. And, B, people were buying guitars because they had all this time on their hand now. Right. So they were taking time to learn how to feel and touch and learn how to play. And to your point, a lot of it was done via uh, the internet, right? Uh, we're starting to see an upsurge in in our lesson requests and people who say, you know, I'm not getting what I want to get from YouTube. Mm-hmm. I need that personal instruction. I need someone to tell me my hands in the right spot or I'm doing this the right way. Right. It's we are fortunate, I think, in both of our counties, and I'll speak specifically for Guilford County because I know it very well has a tremendous uh, arts uh, program in the Gilbert County Schools. Uh, right. Dr. Street has, uh, is a tremendous advocate for the arts. The administration is. He's got tremendous music teachers in, in all the schools, and they are working hard every day to educate the kids and their parents um, about the value of music uh, for a social emotional learning development the challenge that we have as a music store is to be 
uh, right there beside them as educators as well, uh, and 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 not uh, just to hey let's you know come come get an instrument from it. No, we're here to help you get the right instrument. We see, unfortunately, um, parents come in with what we call ISOs. Mm-hmm. Can you guess what that means? Uh, too early in the morning for me to figure out. <laughs> ISOs, instrument shaped objects. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, and, and for one, one, one side of it, you know, I congratulate and I thank the parent because they really are doing what they can do to, to, to help the child fulfill the dream of being in a, an instrumental ensemble that they want to purchase an instrument. But like a lot of us, they want to find the lowest price option. Right. And a lot of time, the lowest price options that you're going to find online are instrument-shaped objects. Right. And when you spend less than $100 on any instrument, you're going to get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And when it breaks and they bring it into our shop to repair it, we can't. It's just not repairable. Just not repairable. So, um you know, our part of our job is to educate parents on the value of quality instruments. Music is hard enough to learn, right? Why do it with an inferior uh, um, instrument? If you were to go into my my wife's uh, studio, practice studio here in the house, you'd find three harps in there, and it would <laughs> it would serve to illustrate your story. The very first one, when we des- when she decided she wanted to learn harp, but you know, didn't want to put a huge investment into the instrument. Uh, I don't remember the name of the company, but basically it was like IKEA for harps. It she had to put it all together, and it's oh. like a it's like a little foam board or something like that. But it was serviceable, and it and it, it worked for maybe a few years, right. and then she got a genuine handmade lever harp, um, you know, a folk harp, and you know, and that's still even compared to the third instrument in there. It is. It's very good quality, but you know it's like you compare the to the first one. Um, you could you can just play the the different sounds, feel the different sounds. You really feel it, and then of course when after saving for years, she got her concert grand uh, harp um, from the Virginia Harp Center, and uh, that's uh, <laughs> you know it's it's just kind of a funny. It's like watch this grow as as you put as you put them in a row there, so. Um, you know, I, I, she was so excited to get that harp. I remember her telling us about it. So, oh yes, wow. yeah, yeah. We, we it had been in the works for some time. I uh, she would have gotten it sooner, but I insisted we we have to pay off my car first. <laughs> we cannot have my car payment and your harp payment. <laughs> so once we did, I said I'll go all in. We'll save up a you know down payment. You know the you know, what would be a reasonable amount uh, to so that we could get our loan approval, and, and we did. So. That's awesome. Um, well, let's just, go, let's just do a little brief overview of um, just your time as a musician. So, like, when did you get into music? Like, what was your first instrument? Uh, piano. Okay, and how old were you? Five. Okay. My parents, my, my dad has passed. My mom's 94. My parents uh, were both educators, uh, not music educators, by the way, just educators. But my dad, who was many years a school superintendent um, in Ohio, was a, both my parents were tremendous supporters and believers of arts education for uh, children. And so we think about it, what a teacher makes and this goes back, oh, I'm 63 years old, so mm-hmm. figure that out. All there's um, number um, number five out of six kids. Mm-hmm. I have three older sisters, older brother, younger brother. All of us took piano lessons. All of us had a secondary instrument. Uh, I have a sister that plays uh, oboe, cello, violin. My older brother played violin, my young, uh, cello. My younger brother played bass. And I was uh, an oboist as well. But we all took private lessons on on both instruments. Mm. Uh, I don't know how they did it. Right. Uh, I believe that it was that important. But, yeah, I started playing piano probably when I was uh, four or five years old. Right. Um, in elementary school, rolled around, tried violin for about two weeks, hated it. Mm-hmm. Clarinet much, maybe for about five weeks, hated it. 
Mm-hmm. My sister played the oboe, which I absolutely love. So I started playing oboe back actually in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, was fortunate and I was blessed with talent. I started playing oboe professionally when I was in the ninth grade mm-hmm. uh, with the symphony orchestra back in Springfield, Ohio. Came down to Easter Music Festival probably the summer of my eighth grade year, all the way through my senior year in high school. Um, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the game. Okay. Studied piano all through college. Yeah. So would you say oboe is your principal instrument and piano secondary, or is it the other way around? Today, uh, I'd be piano would be there. I guess the principal because the mm-hmm. oboe. I I I um, I did the twelve step program to get away from reed making and right. You know, off that wagon right (laughs) nice um so when did you get into theater i can't remember when that was it was back when my youngest daughter who's now 35 was in middle school yeah and she was uh very heavily involved with livestock players Mm -hmm. musical theater with barbara Britton, which is part of greensboro parks and rec um, I, during my insurance years, I was on the road a good bit, but I really missed my one passion and that is conducting mm-hmm. and Natalie saying that, you know, come on, dad, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you do some musical theater? I'm like, ah, that's not real music. No, I'm not going <laughs> to I'm thinking, well, you don't have anything else to do. So, uh, talk with Barbara Britton and she gave me a shot. Uh, our first, my first show was, uh, high society. Mm-hmm. Um, which we did back then livestock was doing the shows at the Carolina theater. Um, a little name drop here, Andrew Galing, if mm-hmm. you know that name, uh, actually had the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was his last show, I think with high society and to do a show with my first show with a talent, uh, like Andrew, even back then, Andrew uh, was, um, a rare, rare, talent mm-hmm. this kid had never had a voice lesson never had an acting lesson he had uh, god's gift for um timing right let alone his voice and every and all and everything else that a true he was a pro back then and of course you know andrew has gone on to you know create roles for jersey boys waitress and done a number of other things mm-hmm. um, just a tremendously successful uh, talent. So yeah, it goes went back to starting with high society back when my daughter was in middle school and probably done, I don't know, maybe 35, 37 shows. Right. There was a lot of talent that went through this area back, uh, at that time. It's kind of fun as I've in my older years, <laughs> I look back and, and you just see things that have happened. There was a talent bubble that was going through, the local musical theater scene mm-hmm. uh, back then. And, and as, as talent, not only like my daughter, but you had Andrew, Justin Cowan. Uh, gosh, I wanna, there's so many names I could think of right now. It was an incredible group of talented kids mm-hmm. um, that, that was in the community for a while, which really made getting into music theater for me a whole lot of fun. And right. wish I had a whole lot earlier. Right. So, so it sounds like, uh, your story is a little non-traditional. So you got into it as, you know, for the first time as a parent. So you didn't have, you didn't experience it yourself as a student. Well, to the exception, uh, the high school I went to, uh, Springfield North high school, uh, we had a tremendous arts program or so. So every year our high school did a musical. Our high school had a full symphonic orchestra. Wow. Uh, so yeah, the, I mean that was my introduction to it, if you would. Mm-hmm. But no, I was never, never on the stage as a singer actor. I've uh, done you know concerto work with my oboe. You know, here's here's what amazes me, David, about singers slash actors. You talk about people who have cojones. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be able to stand up there, especially during an audition, right? And you get in front of three people who are staring at you, thinking. Be good, be good. No, you're really going to suck. Be good, be good. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got nothing. Right. You have nothing to hang on to as a crutch. It's you. You're standing there essentially bare naked. 
mm-hmm. in front of these people. My hats are, my, I just, it's, they're amazing. amazing yeah. People. And I'll go <laughs> even further than that. This, uh, earlier this year, I went to the SCTC conference for the first time. <laughs> and, um, the, the main thing that I did there, as far as like, you know, being a, a participant as I accompanied the tutorials for the auditions. And what they did was, is they kind of tore apart the audition. It's like, is your sheet music in such a way that it's good for your pianist? Um, and also time it. I think they have exactly 90 seconds to do a monologue and a song. And if it's 92 seconds, mm, we got to cut something. And, and wow. uh, like they even, to even things like when they would stand up, you know, how they said their name could could make a difference in two or three seconds, you know. So, like, you don't want to say, hi, my name is, no, nope, just go, I'm David Lane, or, or, or don't even say that, just say, like, David Lane, number 42, and then the accomplice the unit knows to hit it. <laughs> and as soon as that's done, monologue. And you know exactly what speed you need. And it's like, and that's the professional world. That's what they have to do. <laughs> it's yeah. really, really yeah. quite astounding. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the meat of our conversation. So we're going to talk about uh, The Wizard of Oz. And uh, I figured before I uh, get into that, um, we're talking about a production. Is, was last year 25 or was this year 25? I can't remember. I think it was, this is year 26. I- this would be year 26, so last year it was 25. Right. When I present this episode in November, uh, after your conversation, I'm going to have some brief recorded thoughts from people like Mitchell Summers and uh, Jennifer Blevins and some of the others who have, along with you, been in this production year after year, just like a minute or two of thoughts. And so uh, the only person I've talked to so far uh, about doing this who's agreed is Jennifer Blevins. And uh, I just wanted to read something she said yesterday. (laughs) There's an ongoing battle between Al and I as to whether the technical aspects are more important than the music to Wizard. I think I finally won when I said that I could always just take the lights out. I adore working with them. (laughs) (laughs) So Jennifer Blevins is a stage manager. I I don't know how long. Yeah, I'll let her say, you know, all I can say is yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. David, you've done some shows with me. And of course, my, uh, what I always have fun when I meet with uh, the, the cast and crew for the first time, when I, you know, I go to introduce who, who I am, my name is Al. And, you know, this is a musical, so it's very simple. It's music, Al. But at the end of the day, this isn't a dance, dancical. It's not a uh, actical. It's not a technical it's a musical right <laughs> the music is the most important thing about the whole thing if jennifer can turn the lights out everybody's going to complain they're not going to complain to the orchestra because the orchestra can't play if she wants to deal with that more power to we have a lot of fun she's an awesome awesome stage manager wizard wizard's a machine right and, and mitchell uh, has built a machine. I will tell you again. A lot of everything with music theater revolves around my kids, of course. But um, Natalie, again, the youngest daughter, um, who, by the way, went on to get her an undergrad from Elon in music theater. She was in Wizard. I think the second year that they had the production, and I can remember as a parent during Tech Week sitting in the hall of the Carolina theater, like 1230, 1 a.m. While Mitchell was giving notes to these kids. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Of course, I'm, I'm sleeping. <laughs> but now, the, and, and that's for years, I said, I really didn't want to do Wizard. Uh, but then, of course, the call came and said, yeah, let's give it a shot. The, when I say it's a machine, it's a machine. They have, they have to have volunteers to you you got a hundred people yeah and and you have to manage it and they do such a fantastic job and of that hundred people 50 to 55 are going to be between the age of five and 17 right and it's heavy on that younger younger side younger edge 
and the rest of it are going to be adults. And honestly, some of the adults can be more of a challenge than the five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but you no, know, Mitchell has put together quite, quite a production. Um, and, and hopefully once we get past the pandemic, it will continue uh, to live on. Yeah. And I just want to, uh, you know, I'll probably cover some of this in the introduction to the podcast. Um, you know, just for the benefit of my listeners, um, I've said before that, you know, I want to talk to people who are doing professional productions, who are on Broadway, who are, you know, in London or wherever. Um, in fact, you know, when this episode airs, I will, I will have talked to somebody, you know, who's a music director on Broadway, and we will have talked about, you know, some of the big names he's worked with. But I also, I'm very interested in communities, especially communities with traditions uh, that involve their community in a big way. And I don't, I don't know any production that uh, represents that more than The Wizard of Oz as presented by the Community Theater of Greensboro. We just call that CTG for short. Right. And uh, my introduction uh, to, to that was um, I w- back in 2015... I had uh, kind of like you, I, I, I was an adult before I started doing musical theater. And um, I had a single theater here in Winston-Salem that I did just about all of the work for. Um, but in 2013, I music directed Les Miserables. And that was, uh, that was enough of a business card, I guess, to say that I could go to other theaters and, and say, would you give me a chance with your productions? And uh, eventually, two years later, I made my way over to... Uh, uh, to calling Mitchell on the phone uh, because I was very interested in Gypsy. Gypsy was a bucket list show. I wanted to music direct that, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and he he made an offer. It's like, uh, well, you, you know, um, you're you're probably you probably do a good job. You probably know what you're doing. But before we <laughs> give you Gypsy, we would really like to see you work as the vocal director for the wizard of oz which was going to happen a few months sooner than that because it's gypsy was spring of 2016 and uh, the wizard was november of 2015 and i was like and and i'd already because i had heard about wizard of oz before and thought about you know like should I even try to get involved with that in any way and it's like i was like oh, it's 100 people it's 50 kids it's like um It'll blow your mind. I mean, it was, there's a lot of there's a lot of hyperbole about that. Yeah. By the way, when we talk about 100 people, we're we're not even talking about off stage. We're talking about a cast oh, of 100 on stage. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it's like I was a little nervous about it, but um, it, and it was a great experience. The the thing is, is and I'm a little bit more competent with vocal instruction now, but I wasn't at the time. In fact. Uh, having me work with you in that regard is probably a little redundant because I think you and I are kind of alike in our makeup and that we we're pretty good with instrumentalists and uh, do what we have to with the vocalist. <laughs> and you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Dave, because when Mitchell first approached me about doing wizard mm-hmm. uh, back then, I think I followed Justin Cowan uh, who had been music director for one or two seasons of it. Um, and Justin is a vocalist, mm-hmm. as well as a pianist, music director. I'm not a vocalist. Mm-hmm. I love to sing. I enjoy singing. I have no idea how to uh, properly teach somebody how to make a beautiful sound. Mm-hmm. I can regurgitate what I've heard uh, from others. Um, but that's one of the things I told Mitchell at that point. I said, tell you what. I'll do this, but I, I, you need to bring in a vocal coach. Mm-hmm. And I said, take my money, cut it in half. I don't care. These kids, these people need to learn how to sing properly. Mm-hmm. And this, this, is the, this is the ground floor for a lot of these kids getting into music theater and even for some adults. Uh, and I said, you know, if we're going to do a, a I'll put my name on a production, I'm kind of a control freak and I like, good quality stuff, mm-hmm. then we're going to do it right. right. And that's, I think when that, that's how well, I know that's when CTG started bringing in the music director and then the vocal coach as well. Right. 
Um, so we were talking about, you know, this would be year 26. What what year did you begin? What was the production? See, I can't remember if this would be year 11 for me. Right. I took a year off in 2017 was a fun, fun year in our lives. The tooth March of the end of February of 17 is when we purchased the store. Mm-hmm. Um, slated to do wizard that fall. Uh, Patty was diagnosed with her first time with uh, breast cancer in mm-hmm. September of 17 mm-hmm. and knowing the demands uh, of wizard and not knowing uh, what, uh, her needs would be. I just sat down with Mitchell and this was like a week, two weeks before we even started the production auditions. I said, Mitchell, I got to drop out. Mm-hmm. And, and he was, he was, uh, very warm and wonderful and supportive. Everybody was mm-hmm. uh, the outpouring and support, um, from that community has been tremendous then and today. So we took a year off, uh, but, you know, been, came back in 18 and 19. So I think this would be my year 11 mm-hmm. in, in doing it. So nice. every year I say, not again, I can't do it anymore. But right. it sucks you back in because it's a <laughs> beautiful production. Right. I love the score. And to do that production in the Carolina Theater, which was built around the time... Uh, that production was first filmed and put on the stage. Uh, it's just really special. Right. Yeah, it's a, and you describe it very well. It's like it, it, there's probably four or five moments that I'm like, what have I, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> um, one thing that did not help, that did not help me, uh, 2015, you know, this is helpful remind this is one of the advantages of posting too much on facebook because you can see on the memories what you were posting uh 2015 was the the rainiest autumn i think we've had in a decade it was every time going from winston-salem to greensboro or coming home it was just in a torrential downpour it's just like it just doesn't help the mindset and um uh, but it's a very fascinating building where you guys rehearse. And I know that, like, uh, it's not just Wizard. Other shows are rehearsed there. Uh, it's the Greensboro Cultural Center. Um, I think it's the top floor. I think it's at least the fourth floor. And that, uh, if, you ever get, if you're ever in Greensboro and you get a chance and, you know, I don't, I don't know what's open and what's not right now. But um, you just go in there and walk around. That is a, architecturally just a fascinating place. And. Um, but you have basically a whole floor to yourselves, you know, you've got, uh, mm-hmm. or, or at least a whole little corner of the floor. You've got, I think what, three rooms, you know, two, at least two uh, rooms. Two. Yeah. Two. two rooms. Yeah. And, um, so you talk about a machine. So, uh, you know, I've kind of skipped over the auditions. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But once we get into music rehearsals and, and choreography rehearsals, they basically happen at the same time. And that's not always the case with like a community theater. Um, most community theaters, they, they, they don't have like this divided time. Well, first of all, it's not not just that. Um, if you're talking about a cast of, you know, 15 or 20, uh, you can't be having choreography and music rehearsals at the same time. You'll, you're actually diluting the, the possibility of pro- progress. But when you've got 100 you can split that up <laughs> and and uh, and make that work. There's just because like the Wizard of Oz, there are very few things that need everybody at one time. You know, it's like all 100 people. It's like you can work with the adults on portions and kids on portions, and then you just needed to come together. Mm, you know, like hour or two, really, <laughs> you know, a total yeah. just to kind of get everything in there. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it, if it was something that you carved out or just over the years. But but uh, I know that you had like all of the everything scheduled by the week, and that's all Mitchell. That's uh, all Mitchell. Yeah, nice. That's Mitchell. Mitchell would we would have a couple of pre-production meetings, and uh, he was very good to always ask. You know what. Unfortunately, community theater is, you know, not 100% of what our focus is in our lives. And we do have other lives outside of Wizard. Mm-hmm. So he was always nice enough to say, all right, well, so what are your conflicts? What night? He would get our conflicts. He would put the rehearsal schedule together. Uh, we'd all 
agree to that and kind of look at it just to be sure that, yeah, when we were rehearsing uh, music that the people that we needed in the music weren't over in a uh, choreography or a blocking rehearsal. Right. Mitchell did a great job of, of putting that schedule uh, together. Uh, so right. that, that, that was him. And he did a great job of working with the production team. Um, uh, he was a fantastic collaborator. Right. So let's, uh, let's just take this back. So um, when it comes to auditions, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're auditioning a show for a cast of, uh, I don't know, 25 people, you might see 40 or 50 people in an audition. If it's, uh, you know, an average show now, if it was like a popular show, like I just say Les Miserables, we did the cast of 35 and we auditioned, I think, 91, you know, mm-hmm. for that. So, uh, which, you know, it kind of makes, it makes you feel bad for, you know, the two thirds of the people that didn't get in the show, but it makes you feel good. We must have gotten a really good crop, but we got one third of the auditionees. Um, how many people on average do you ever, do you think you see in a wizard audition and how many days does it take to see them? It's generally a, I want to say, uh, I want to think about this a second. The most that we have seen in my tenure was over 200. Wow. Um, the fewest, was probably about 130, 135. That probably was my year <laughs> because it was, uh, we, we had very few. I remember we had the post production, or not post production, but uh, you know, the the meeting, you know, in the yeah. restaurant where we cast the show and we, we go through and like, who who's a no? And it's like, well, we didn't have too many. <laughs> um, and when you go through all the conflicts and people have conflicts, and then he's like, well, we're kind of down to no more cuts. Uh, now, I can't remember if this was Mitchell's philosophy or not. Uh, when I've done family shows for community theaters uh, and other theaters, uh, they tend to, uh, you know, they tend to consider the whole, uh, sometimes like a whole family will audition. It'll be a mom, a dad, and their two kids. And uh, sometimes they'll say, it's okay if you only cast one of us. And other times they'll say, if you cast one of us, you got to cast all of us. And so do you, do y'all have to deal with that in wizard? <laughs> <laughs> community theater is community theater is community theater. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the joy um, and challenge of doing community theater. One of the things that I've learned a lot from Mitchell Um but one of the biggest lessons, greatest lessons I learned from him is community theater means for, of and by the, and for the community. Right. Um, he believed in, in being inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a young lady for a couple shows, maybe the year you were there uh, in a wheelchair. Right. On the stage, we've had uh, children and adults with uh, learning mm-hmm. uh, challenges or on the autistic spectrum. Um, and on one hand, you might be thinking, well, they're not going to, of our show, be a fantastic show. Mm-hmm. And Mitchell says, oh, yeah, they will. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, Everybody, everybody brings so much to the table, to the stage in a community theater production that it gives you a production unlike uh, any other. It's, it's a tremendous, tremendously rewarding experience. Right. And, uh, and then we get to the tech week and, uh, you know, the tech week in the Carolina theater. It's like, um, so, yeah, this is a community theater production. But uh, it's it it has some tradition and it has a budget allocated. I I don't I don't know what percentage of CTG's budget goes towards Wizard, but it has to be quite an unequal share compared to the number of shows that they do, uh, because they've got they've got a screen, they've got the tornado effects, they've got flying effects. In fact, um, I think one of the things that 
you know, I guess I guess the Dorothy, whoever casts Dorothy uh, and the witch, they have to sign a waiver, right? <laughs> or they have to uh, they have to be comfortable being on wires and going on the going in the air and all that. So yes, all the, all anybody that flies and 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 there are some kids that fly. As as well, uh, mm-hmm. anybody that buys signs signs that waiver. That production um, costs just north of a hundred thousand dollars to stage. Wow. Um, and <laughs> so you understand, I guess, on one hand, why there's a hundred people in the cast. Right. So if you think about those that 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 fifty plus kids. So for every kid, there's going to be. Uh, one, two parents, there's going to be grandparents, aunts and uncles and everybody. That's what sells out. That's what sells tickets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So how many, let, let me ask a few questions here. How many people do you conduct in the pit? And secondly, talk about some of the musicians that you've worked with multiple times. And I'm going to go ahead and throw a suggestion. Let's start with your wonderful accompanist, Andy Mock. To your question, we have, I think, 18 or 19 in the pit, Okay, uh, which is absolutely wonderful. The musicians have been there, uh, many of them, for many years. Uh, Carol, um, uh, our harp player, has been with Wizard from production one. Wow. And many of these musicians uh, asked, they want to come back. Martha Shannon, the viola player, has been there for I don't know how many years. Um, Andy Mock. Mm-hmm. Andy Mock. What can you say about Andy? Um, like yourself, he's just a fantastic pianist. Um, uh, he, uh, <laughs> Andy's just a hoot. Yeah. No, he's just a hoot. Uh, and he's just so much, so much fun to have uh, involved with the production. And I learn a lot from Andy um, every time we've done the show together. Um, I've been blessed to have and work with very good accompanists, uh, yourself, uh, Andy, Carlos Fuentes, uh, Raul, Amy Blackwell. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones in the past. Um, It's, as you know, as an accompanist, that's part of my French. It's a bitch of a piano score. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's it's a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we've had some accompanists come in there not having uh, worked on the book before they get to the first rehearsal. Right. And you can just see them sweating over there like, "Uh, I guess I should have looked at the book. Right. (laughs) They're going, oi, hey, what have we done? What are we going to do? What are we going to do out? What are we going to do? I don't know. You hired him. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do, Mitchell? But everything always works out. It all comes, it comes around. Right. um, Well, I mean, one thing about that book is you're playing off of basically piano conductor score. And, um, you know, the first thing you got to figure out as an accompanist with a piano conductor score, uh, you can't actually play all of it up to tempo <laughs> you get you got to get to the meat of it you know but but it's really fun it's like uh i remember andy couldn't be there and i didn't i had like maybe you know i i i wasn't intending to ever have played for the rehearsals so i hadn't practiced it and, and until like maybe a day before and we and we it couldn't have been act two i had to play for act one and uh you've got the whole twister scene and oh then, yeah, <laughs> and that music. If you've never seen the stage production, you, you probably certainly have seen the the movie. It the music is identical <laughs> to the movie, <laughs> and it's all on the piano, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like all these tornado chromatic scales, and you know, and of course the quotes of the classical material. I know that, um, yeah, it keeps uh, like for Toto's theme. It's like the happy farmer from Schumann. It's actually the the. There's a lot of little Easter egg classical pieces in the production uh, in the mu- in the movie I don't think made it onto the stage like uh, when Toto escapes from the castle there's a really nice uh, or- there's an orchestra version of a really nice uh, Mendelssohn piano piece this is scherzo opus 16 num- number two and uh, and then of course right after yeah that dun, 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 and then um, I can't remember there's a few other things <laughs> but um it's a fun score. Yeah. It's, it is a fun score. And, and with the joy of 
having most of the same musicians every year is that we can have one orchestra rehearsal and go. Right. And that's pretty, because that's, that's, that's the budget. The budget is I get one orchestra only rehearsal. And with that, even then I will bring in the leads mm -hmm. so they will have an experience to sing. And cause they've just been listening to the piano reduction for, you know, who knows how many weeks. Right. So I want them to experience the rest of the whole score and how that sounds. So they won't be thrown the first time they hear it on stage. So we got one orchestra only rehearsal. Our next rehearsal uh, is tech week in the pit with the, with the uh, cast on stage. Right. Do you get two or two of those or three? Oh no, this, this is another fun Mitchell story. So one orchestra, I get one evening tech rehearsal which was jen was a thursday when they were doing friday morning school shows so we would do a thursday morning thursday evening dress mm -hmm. friday morning school show and in mitchell's mitchell's mind that was a dress rehearsal okay <laughs> i need another no 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 you got friday morning don't worry don't the kids we have to stop we have to stop no big deal <laughs> <laughs> But that's the joy of it. So when you got 19 in the pit and you may have one or two new people, I think that last year when we did it, I had everybody back right. from the previous year. Right. But we just picked it up and ran. Now, the fun, as you know, being a music director, is when half of your pit for a show is all subs. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've, uh, I've talked to... Uh, yeah, I just recently talked to uh, Heidi Dalek, who I will have presented that interview, you know, by the time yours comes out, uh, over at Elon. And, you know, we're just talking about everything happens in November at the same time that involves live musicians. You've got Elon's production. Um, I've been unable, I've been um, from 2017 through 2019, I was a music director for Greensboro Day School's productions. That's November. Uh, and, and, and then just for my experience, it's like trying to hire musicians that could do the whole run of the show. It was like, well, uh, I think I, I can do the first week, but the second week is wizard. Um, or I can do, um, I, I can do the second week, but the first week is Elon or, you know, it's just so, <laughs> and, and when you're talking about these big pits, it's like, I did Pippin with a 17 piece orchestra and you've got your 18, 19 piece orchestra for Wizard of Oz at the same time, you know, <laughs> and we probably had the same players going back and forth. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't doubt it. And it's, and it's all, well, of course, when you're dealing with a small pit, every part is critical. Right. But you think about in Wizard, for some reason, the two trumpet parts are always being subbed out. Right. And, you know, Wizard is just so much trumpet. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the joy of, of, of being a music director. And that's one of the things I love about being a music director. It's a tremendous mental challenge, puzzle, right. activity. It's, it's, it's to do a live production. You have everything going on above you on the, on the stage. You got all this stuff here in the pit going on. And then you have the audience behind you you're listening to for reaction. To me, it's just I'm in a real high. It just just to have right. all this stuff going together, and I, I absolutely enjoy that organized chaos, if you will. Right. I feel like you just answered this question, but I'll, uh, but how much you know of doing Wizard? <clears throat> so this would have been your eleventh year, so ten years. How much of that is deja vu? And how much of it is a fresh experience that keeps you in the moment each time? Every every production is a fresh fresh experience. <laughs> nice. Every, every production is a new experience. <laughs> you, as we as we're all people, um, mm. you just don't know what's going to happen, what people are going to do, and you don't know what Toto is going to do. Right. You know, times Toto will come out and. Uh, take a crap on the stage. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that just, of course, that's everybody. You just have some fun with that. The deja vu, um, yeah, it's there. I guess the best part for me is I try not to let it be the deja vu because it's not being fair to the, the cast that I'm working with at this point. Right. This, this cast this year, um, and, and it's important 
that we as a production team uh, stay focused on not not compare them to previous years. Don't do any good to pre- compare to previous years. Right. This is this year. We've got to do the absolute best production, right? And, and give this cast and give the audience uh, a wonderful, wonderful experience. The deja vu comes into play in that when that music gets started. I mean, I probably have the score memorized by this point, mm-hmm. and which then gives me the opportunity to focus more on what's going on on the stage and then how to better tie in the music to the production. One of the nice things I like about wizard and I tell the cast and the orchestra is that this, this, a lot of the shows that, 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 that in my opinion, a lot of the shows today, um, music doesn't really serve as a soundtrack. Right. You know, you got dialogue saying dialogue saying dialogue saying and some other stuff. The music from wizard it's really it's it's like the movie it's a soundtrack right and to be able to work with the jennifer blevins and the choreographers and those people to weave all of that together that 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 the music essentially disappears Mm -hmm. the music needs to be it's very collaborative yes it it has to be and so with wizard Mm -hmm. especially my personal challenge is to keep that. It's like maybe a symphony orchestra will do a, a sometimes they'll do pops concerts where they'll have a, a silent movie. Or maybe they're doing the Star Wars and they're, they're with a live soundtrack. Right. It's that's that mindset for me. And, right. and how to keep this soundtrack, uh, keeping the production pushed and rolling. Because, you know, as a music director, mm-hmm. uh, the show, you pace the show. Right. And, and that's. Another fun challenge that that we have is is keeping that pace moving and keeping it fresh and not letting the uh, audience uh, fall asleep. Yeah, I think for me, like the deja vu would come in things like, um, you know, I mean, there's no rule that says you if you play a role once, you can't play it again. And it's like I know I know one person who's done Glinda at least three times <laughs> and at least two times with you. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, I, I imagine coming back to that, it's like, well, you already know this, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, well, of course, Mitchell did the, the Wizard how many times? I know he did it the 25th, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he did the 25th. Uh, we've had some of the witches that have come back. Some people have just been the consummate actor in those roles right on uh, done tr- tremendously wonderful jobs but to their point to their credit even if they've come back on repeated occasions they brought a fresh approach to it uh and, and kept it alive and fresh uh for them the audience and then their their colleagues on the stage so, you know it's a tremendous amount of fun right um so in 10 years of of going through the whole process. I'm sure that at least one time something's gone wrong. <laughs> what's a, what's an instance you can share with us with where uh, maybe something didn't quite work out the way it should. Well, as I mentioned a couple of the, the times we've had a couple Totos mm-hmm. um, who have <laughs> come out and especially as generally during the, uh, the wizard, the, the, the scene, at the uh, top of the show where Dorothy comes out and meets uh, Professor uh, Marvel and, you know, they're kind of that little campfire scene. And she walks on from stage, stage left. And it is, it's happened a couple times. The dog will come on and right there in front of God and country and about 1,100 kids, because it's always during a school show, never fails. It's during a school show. Mm-hmm. The dog will just sit there and drop trout. <laughs> well that's a teachable moment see this is real theater you know? like... <laughs> and then, you know you can imagine when you got 1100 school kids in the, in the hall <laughs> what are they focused on that do- look at the dog look at the dog <laughs> and it gets kind of crazy no i would say um it is such a, a an organized production and we talked about the hundred people on stage, backstage, mm-hmm. the army, and I mean it is an army of volunteers. Uh, Adrian uh, has done such a tremendous job of uh, working with all that backstage crew. So you got left and right. There has to be with all the volunteer parents and the dressing rooms, all the stagehands. 
there has to be another 30, 40, 50 people backstage. Right. Just to make this thing work. Right. Uh, and because of their dedication, and a lot of them come back and do it every year, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, 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 it moves on uh, pretty much without, without a flaw. Right. Um, is there a single moment that stands out to you in your memories is really fond from the production? I probably would have to say there's eh, not a single moment. I have there are there are young ladies uh, that I have watched in the ten or eleven years that have come up, uh, uh, starting out as a munchkin. You talk about doing the auditions. Mm-hmm. You got this little five year old singing with the top of her, you know, their lungs, and you know, then ten years later they're Dorothy, mm-hmm. and you've seen this young child grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so amazing. Absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. And that's, to me, that's probably, I guess, the touch of the most personal moment is just to see these kids grow up and, and um, see how they have matured in the theater world, just what fine young people they are. And to take the role of Dorothy, which you know, every little girl who gets in that show and they see Dorothy, they're like, oh, I mm-hmm. want to be Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Dorothy. Nobody ever comes to auditions and say, Ooh, I want to be the accompanist. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even people who want to play piano, they don't think I want to be an accompanist. And then eventually, you know, you have to tell them, uh, you're more likely to get work that way <laughs> if you do. Oh, <laughs> <Like eight? laughs> uh, okay. Oh, well, this is, this has gone really well. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, we'll just send them to more music in Greensboro and just come say hello. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be fun. I don't, I don't have a website. Um, hopefully the word of, of the work that I've done uh, will resonate in the, in the community. I've been fortunate like you. Uh, I had a chance to do a Les Mis fantastic show. Right. Absolutely loved it. Uh, with uh, gallery players in Burlington, did ragtime with gallery, two absolutely wonderful shows. Uh, right. Yeah, we haven't even. I mean, we didn't even have to talk about that, but uh, you know, that may be something like down the road. You know, if this podcast goes on for a while, we may come back in and just talk about some of your non-wizard shows uh, on there. But, uh, but I wanted to talk about wizard this year uh, mainly because you know it. It's not happening now. To CTG's credit, they are doing a lot of events, you know, uh, that are going on, um, yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll mention some of those in the in the preview as well. And, um, and and I'd be remiss to 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 not mention Roz Roz Fulton. Mm-hmm. Roz as the executive director, and this is an interesting. If you're going to talk, you need to. If you don't have plans to talk to Roz, I encourage you to. Okay. This is a person who um, has no theater background. Hmm. And Mitchell brought her in on staff. Uh, of course, now she's the executive director. She's doing some shows, I think, herself. The theater bug has bit her, but Roz has been a perfect fit for that organization. You know, hmm. since Mitchell retired, they've had. Roz is the third executive director they've had since Mitchell retired just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, she was dealt, like all of us, a challenging hand in 2020. Mm-hmm. And as you and I both know uh, the performing arts organizations um, and everybody that's involved with them are really greatly impacted right. by the pandemic. And if there's no productions going on, people don't want to give money. Right. You're not, you don't have a product to sell tickets to. Uh, and so CTG has had to lay off everybody except, I think, three people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roz is doing an incredible job um, working hard to keep CTG present in the community's mindset. Right. Um, and, and God love her. She's it's do it or die and she's undefined Roz Roz is a bulldog she's not going to let this thing die right she's incredible right great um okay so uh we'll um 
I'll probably go back through this interview and uh, I may I may edit some of the early portions as we went we went a little long, you know, but but I'll trim, you know, I'll keep all the essential things. I'll make sure we talk about, you know, about everything. But uh, hey, uh, your, your show, baby, do what you got to do what you want to yeah. do. And I appreciate the honor and, and, and the invite to, to spend some time with you, man. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show. And uh, thank you all for listening to episode 26. Again, if you would like to hear just a little bit more about this production, uh, just tune in on Monday. I'm going to drop a bonus episode uh, with some thoughts from some of the other participants of the production team. And, uh, you know, I look forward to sharing that with you. Be sure to check that out. Next Friday will be episode 27. And I'll be once again uh, talking with a drummer about playing in the pit and also his experiences as a teacher. So check that out next Friday, November 20th, here on Life in the Pit. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, I want to give a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art, and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane, and you can find out more about this podcast or leave feedback through davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app, and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.